Well, hello there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Pastor Podcast. I'm Glenn Packiam, your host, author of the book, The Resilient Pastor. Look, all of these initiatives uh, that I've just had the privilege of partnering with Barna to create have the same goal, and that is to encourage you, church leaders, fellow pastors out there. Today's episode is a really special conversation uh, that I had with Ruth Haley Barton. Listen, if you've been around this leadership world, the soul care, soul for spiritual formation world, you know Ruth is like one of the OGs. She's like one of the originals. She's the founder of the Transforming Center, a ministry dedicated to strengthening the souls of clergy, Christian leaders, and congregations and organizations that they serve. Uh, she's been a student practitioner, teacher, and leader in the area of Christian spirituality and spiritual formation for over 25 years. Uh, she also develops, uh, developed and leads the two-year Transforming Community Experience, which is a practice-based spiritual formation journey for leaders uh, that's offered over the course of nine quarterly retreats. She's the author of numerous books and resources on the spiritual life, including one of the really well-known ones, uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry, Sacred Rhythms, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation, and more. And in this episode, we talk about her latest book, which is all about uh, longing and desire, Sabbath, sabbaticals, how those two things are different. Can we really binge our rest if we're burning out in our work? Uh, so it's, it's a really great conversation. Um, before we dive in today, I want to remind you also, one of the initiatives that uh, I'm teaming up with Barna to, to offer to you is called the Resilient Pastor Cohort. And look, this the idea of the Resilient Pastor Cohort is to provide a space for us to take a journey together in community with other leaders and to learn from one another. So it's a six-month journey. The first three months are September, October, November. Those are all online. Uh, at December will be a little break, and then we resume online January and February. Uh, so those first five months, September, October, November, and then January and February, are all online. We'll have a faculty member that will present to us for an hour or so. We'll have a discussion around that, and then we'll meet a second time uh, in that month to have some breakout rooms and, and go deeper with a smaller circle of pastors and leaders and friends. Then in the sixth month, in March of next year, we'll get together uh, for an in-person gathering, two days with all of our faculty there, live and in-person, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful time of praying, encouraging, rejoicing what the Lord has done over the previous six months. So that's the Resilient Pastor Cohort. I encourage you to check that out. In fact, all of these initiatives, you can find them at theresilientpastor.com. You can find out more about the book, of course, links to this podcast, uh, the roundtables that we're doing in a few cities, and the Resilient Pastor Cohort. I also want to take a moment and thank one of our key sponsors for many of these initiatives, uh, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company. Uh, they help provide churches and organizations with the protection uh, that we need to kind of work, work through ministry, life, and the complexities of today's world. But you know, they also really have a heart for pastors and supporting leaders, and they're offering a free pastor kit to anyone who's interested, and it includes a variety of well-being resources uh, related to pastoral health. So you can get your free kit at brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna. That's brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna. Uh, you'll also find a link to that in the description of this podcast. But before we get into today's episode, let's just pause for a word of prayer. 
Almighty, gracious God, we thank you that you are the author of life. You're the creator. You're the one who started all of this. It's uh, you that have breathed your spirit into our lungs. And so even today as we talk about Sabbath and sabbaticals and the longing in our heart uh, to find rest in you, we pray that you would help us, just as St. Augustine prayed, that our hearts, our restless hearts, would come to find rest in you. Even as we listen today, awaken the hunger, awaken the thirst for you. Uh, Teach us to be able to prioritize space um, with you, to let our souls be renewed and to reunite, to rekindle our love for you. So I thank you for everyone today, wherever they're listening from, Lord. Breathe your strength into them, that creator spirit who hovered over the waters of the deep, hover over our hearts now. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm so thrilled today to be talking to one of the legends in the leadership, spiritual formation, soul care work, the OG, one of the OGs, if you will, Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth, it is so great to have you on the show today. It's good to be with you, Glenn, and congratulations on your new book, The Resilient Pastor. I am thrilled that you were able to complete such an important project and glad that you invited me into it in a small way. Thank you. I loved your contribution. For people who don't know, the book contains reflection paragraphs at the end of each chapter from from leaders and thinkers, and and Ruth was gracious enough to write a, a section on after one of the chapters. So we're super grateful for your work, Ruth. I want to begin by just telling you one of these uh, one of these bits of data here from Barna about pastors and spiritual formation. We've all been hearing about. Uh, pastor burnout and pastors wanting to quit and wanting to, uh, you know, uh, step out of full-time ministry. One of the things we we discovered is that of the pastors who have seriously considered quitting full-time ministry, only 13% of them agreed that they prioritize self-care as a pastor. Uh, so they're, they're, you know, these are the ones who are ready to quit. Conversely, the ones, 44% of the pastors who haven't considered quitting, uh, they're actually the ones that do prioritize their own sort of soul care and, and spiritual formation. But this is such a tough thing. So I, I'm curious, Ruth, over the, all the years that you've been doing this, what have you found to be um, helpful in talking to pastors about prioritizing their own care and formation? Mm. That is a great question. And the answer, in my mind, is either helping them to attend to desire or desperation. It can't come from any other way. It can't come from oughts and shoulds or even the desire to make sure that you finish well. (laughs) I mean, it has to come from deeper. It has to come from your own desire for a way of life that works, for your own desire to live your deepest commitments well and responsibly and to not harm the people around you, who you want to be, the deep desire about who you really want to be in the end. Um, your desire for God. I mean, I think there comes a point and, you know, I start out my own book on strengthening the soul of your leadership in that place saying, I came to this point in my own life where I said, I'm tired of helping other people enjoy God. I just want to enjoy God for myself. That was an expression of raw desire, you know, that was so much bigger and deeper than my ego or my desire to accomplish things. It was a truer, deeper desire. That was my true self talking. And I needed to listen to it. And that is what we help pastors do. And I think it's essential is that we help pastors to listen to the deeper desire of their hearts and even encourage them to let their desire deepen into desperation, which is is even more raw than desire to say, I am desperate 
for more of God mm -hmm. than I have right now. I'm desperate for a way of life that yeah. works. I'm desperate to finish my life yeah. in ministry without having major regrets. Um, you know, it, to, de desperation is a really good thing in the spiritual life because it can carry mm. us towards that which is deeply and ultimately good. So that's the way I do it. I don't know how anybody uh, else does it, but that is the I, way I do it. <laughs> I, I think that's brilliant. Desire and desperation. And I mm -hmm. appreciate you pointing to sort of those deeper longings, those deeper places. And I remember you you uh, you know saying that in Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, mm -hmm. like your own desire for saying, I yeah, want to know God. That's in right. your new book that's, that's coming out here, em Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, you talk about this bike accident that you had. I mean, is that sort of an example of a, a place of desperation? Yes, because I had known about the Sabbath as a practice. And as you know, now I would say that the Sabbath, in my opinion, is really the kingpin of a life well lived mm. in God. I've said that for 20 years, that wow. Sabbath is the kingpin of a life well lived in God. And um, because you've read the manuscript, you know that I start out by saying, I don't think I'd be alive and doing my ministry if it wasn't for the practice of the Sabbath. But at the time, I was in my early 40s, I was allowing myself to read some of the beautiful books on Sabbath, Wayne Mueller and, you know, Rabbi Heschel. And, and I would, mm -hmm. oh, I would be filled with so much longing and desire, but I thought it was out of my reach. I didn't think right. it was possible. And so when I had that biking accident and I didn't take any time to rest, and I had a friend who said, Ruth, you know, you did just get hit by a car. I got run over by a car partially. Uh, oh she said goodness. you could, she said you could take a day off. And, and I'm like, see, this is the way I am. I don't think anything <laughs> gives me the right for a day off. Wow. <laughs> and so it was, it was in the recovery from that bike accident that I began to let myself really hear from God. It felt like the mm. Apostle Paul getting knocked off his horse, honestly, um, mm. where, where I just had to stop and ponder my life mm. and my pace and my drivenness and um, hear the desire, but then move to a place that maybe this could be possible for me. And I'm actually willing to change my life in order to say yes to this invitation from God to Sabbath keeping. I want to press into that uh, comment you made about Sabbath sort of being the key, you know, sort of the key mm. practice maybe the keystone habit, if you will, to mm -hmm. this deep life with God. In Strengthening the Soul, you also talk about solitude, this, this, uh, this need mm -hmm. to sort of being alone. How do Sabbath and solitude complement one another? Mm -hmm. In my experience, solitude is a briefer period of time each day. Okay. Um, okay. And it's being with God and God alone. Solitude is, by definition, being with God and God alone. And that is an absolutely essential practice mm -hmm. so that we begin to hear God's voice as being distinct from all the rest of the voices that clamor for our attention. And for the pastor or the leader in particular, to be able to distinguish God's voice from all the other voices that are clamoring, that is, it's huge. It's essential for any kind of real spiritual leadership, you know? Yeah. Um, Sabbath yeah. is distinct and different. I, I think that solitude prepares us. I will say that my practice of solitude eventually prepared me to be able to say yes to Sabbath because Sabbath is more radical. Um, huh. Sabbath is unplugging for 24 hours and yes. doing that at regular intervals, you know, the seven days. So, um, but Sabbath is for more than just hearing the, the, the voice of God. Sabbath is also for pleasure and delight mm. and deep kinds of replenishment. It's for taking naps. It's for making love yeah. in the afternoon. It's for <laughs> enjoying the foods that you enjoy. It's for being with mm. your family. Sabbath is not solitude because Sabbath... Mm 
I think, biblically and rightly practiced, takes place within the community of close ones that God has given you. It's not the time when you leave your family and go practice solitude. It's the time when you stay with your family, with your community, and you enjoy the good gifts that God has given you within your, within your life. Okay, so so as someone, my wife and I have been married twenty one mm-hmm. years. We have four kids. As someone with mm-hmm. you know four kids still in the home, yeah. Sabbath, you know, it's something we value. But we've also yeah. had to sort of be creative about how we yes. think about this, mm-hmm. and you know, because and I think maybe there are other pastors who are this way, Ruth, where they hear the word Sabbath and they think, oh, please, I'm not yeah. a monk. I can't, yeah. you know. So in the book, and I don't want you to give this away. I want people to order it. I want people to continue <laughs> to read read it, of course. Uh, but you talk about both those things you mentioned, delight, and also mm-hmm. in community with others. Yeah. Um, paint a picture for us of how this could look for a pastor or a leader mm-hmm. with their families or with their friends. Yeah. I love this question. And in our two-year Transforming Community experience, we have a teaching on Sabbath, and it is by far the most energized and the most challenging of almost all the teachings for that very reason that you just named, that I think many pastors feel like it's beyond them, that it's not even possible. They know it's a biblical teaching. They know it's something that's God-ordained, but they're like, I can't do that. I preach on Sundays. I have my family. They have their sports. You know, I can't possibly Mm -hmm. practice Sabbath. There's this feeling that I had, which is it's out of the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you have to have desire first. So I take people deep into their desire in this book first, the desire for a way of life that works, a desire for rest, uh, a desire for delight in the life that God has given you. These are deep desires of the human heart, and these desires are what propels us to try to wrestle with the naughty issues that Sabbath raises. Uh, But what I suggest for pastors, and we're kind of jumping ahead, but I'm going to go ahead, is that first of all, um, that Sabbath begins after your Sunday responsibilities are over. So you have to think about Sundays and you have to think about how you do your Sundays if Sabbath is going to be Sunday for you. Um, I know a lot of pastors take a Sabbath day on another day of the week. But the problem with that is that the two days together are really helpful. The sixth day and the seventh day are are highly related to one another because we all have a lot of human work to do. So to have the sixth day for the work of being human, washing your car, getting groceries into the house, picking up the dry cleaning, you know, all that stuff. It, you have to prepare for the Sabbath. You know, yes. you have to have done some things, you know, to be able yes. to enter in. But what I'm suggesting is that, first of all, we have to look at the rhythms in our community's life. And so mm-hmm. one of the challenges to Sabbath keeping among Christian leaders and pastors right now is that Sundays are the busiest day of the week at church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm challenging a few sacred cows and saying, is there any possibility that you could do your Sunday worship and have that be the beginning of everyone's Sabbath? And as the pastor, your Sabbath doesn't start until one o'clock when you get home, Mm -hmm. because you've now discharged your responsibilities and preaching and leading worship and greeting people at the back door. That's work. That's your work. Mm -hmm. So you're not Mm -hmm. Sabbathing when you're working. But then as, as soon as that's over, you know, you and your congregation and the rest of your staff, you are living in rhythms communally in such a way that you all go home now. You don't have any other activities for the rest of the day at church that engage the staff and that the staff in particular who pulled off Sunday, they might have until one o'clock on Monday, or they might even Mm -hmm. have until the end of day on Monday. And the whole staff is Sabbathing together. And in that way, they are replenishing themselves, but they're also modeling for their congregation that this rhythm of work and rest is God-ordained and that we as the highest leaders in our church are going to be 
practicing this, modeling it, showing you how to do it, and then we're going to shut it down, you know? Right. And you have a receptionist or you have a pastor on call who will field calls, but, you know, you're just really working at it at the level of this kind of concreteness. I, I love that so much, Ruth. And you're right. It takes the community committing to these rhythms yes. together, you know? Yes. Uh, we, we have a setup here, you know, because of a, a service that happens on a Friday night. You know, some people mm -hmm. do take Friday, Saturday. Um, yeah. So you kind of, I like the way you put that day six as sort of this human work because you're, you're right about mm -hmm. that. And then they, they, you know, the Saturday is the Sabbath. But others take the Monday up. And yeah. what that sometimes creates is like, oh, the tendency to check your inbox because somebody's working right. today and what if they need something? Mm -hmm. and, and if the community's not in sync. You, you've also written a lot about sacred rhythms. And, and I'm just curious, yeah. you know, with, with the pandemic, I mean, Ruth, what rhythms, right? I mean, those, mm -hmm. especially when we think yeah. back to 2020, where everything's thrown off kilter. We're finding our way back now, and offices yeah. are doing the sort of, mm -hmm. you know, two-day-a-week flex or whatever. You know, why are rhythms so important to our lives? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons is because they're regular. Um, and so I encourage people to think in, you know, in the days and weeks and the, the rhythms that we actually have to work with. So you can have daily rhythms. Uh, and I really do suggest a daily rhythm of solitude, being with God and God alone, however much you can give to that. Then the weekly rhythm of Sabbath. And then I encourage a monthly or a quarterly rhythm of retreat, a little bit more of an extended time for hearing God and being in God's presence. And then when we talk about annual rhythms, like I encourage leaders to take their vacations and to take their full vacations and to really unplug. Mm -hmm. So I think it's helpful because the body, the human body and soul is used to living in rhythms. We live in rhythms of eating three times a day, the rhythms of the seasons, the rhythms of our heartbeat. Um, we're used to rhythms and yeah. the body gets to the place where they're, they're in us. And so yeah. I've been practicing Sabbath now for so long that you almost couldn't get my body to work on a Sunday because I'm, I've been in this rhythm for 20 years now. And so when that seventh day comes, my whole body feels it. And even when I try to do something in my head and say, oh, well, I have this deadline. I really should work a little bit today or whatever. It doesn't happen anymore because my body knows that this is the day we're in. And like your body knowing you're hungry, you know, you can't tell yeah. it it's not hungry. It's hungry. Um, <laughs> the, the rhythm, your, your actual body and soul and self and your, your family's patterns can actually get to the place where it's the most natural thing in all the world and you don't have to think about it anymore. And of course, I think that God gave us the Sabbath because God knows us and God knows that he created us in such a way that we are, you know, meant to work six days and rest on the seventh. So if you don't have a rhythm, that means that sometimes you're going to go past your seventh day and you're going yeah. to get into that toasty place, you know, where right. you really are not at your best because God created us a certain way to need to rest on the seventh day. And I really believe God on this one. I, I, yeah. This is a place where we lean into our creator and we say, mm. you created me, God. I'm going to go with you on this one. You know, mm. <laughs> that's what yeah. I, that's, where, that's where I'm at with it. You know, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love. Okay, I'm tempted to turn this into a free coaching session here, Ruth. So my <laughs> my 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 challenge is uh, e even if it's not the external stuff, it's me mm -hmm. and my own. Sometimes yeah. the the feeling of addictedness to my phone and to social yes. media and to you know it's 
digital work has blurred yeah. these lines now. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. my kids will say, Dad, what are you doing in your phone? And I'll say, well, it's work. I have to tweet yeah. about this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, so yeah. so how, help us here with the, with the increasing sort of blurring of lines because of digital work and mm-hmm. everything's on our phones. Is our phone leisure or is our phone work mm-hmm. or is it always a mix of both? What are some practical sort of boundary markers to help us really uh, unplug for the Sabbath? Oh, thank you for the question. Um, I, this time in this book, I devoted a whole chapter to technology because I believe that um, what used to be the biggest addiction in our world was work. Now the bigger addiction is technology and the way it gives us access to our work. But it's more than just the work. It's also the stimulation of yes. constantly being on and constantly having other people's thoughts come into our consciousness, forced and pushed through push notifications, being stimulated by whatever gets stirred up in us on social media through Facebook and Instagram and all of that, competitiveness, jealousy, um, even, wow, they're doing that, I should be doing that. Like, it gets you all riled up at the level of performance. And Mm -hmm. I got to be out there doing stuff because they're out there doing stuff. And how how come they have so many more likes than I have? And, oh, the stuff that technology does inside us. And so I gave a whole chapter to it this time and and naming it as an addiction. I, I believe it is an addiction now for most of us mm-hmm. and that we have to treat it like an addiction and that we, I think, need to be considering the Sabbath day as being a day when we're completely unplugged from our technologies, as challenging wow. as that is. And I, you know, I, I refer to a beautiful book called 24-6 uh, in that chapter and really a whole book on how to disconnect from technology, even in ways that are inconvenient. So if you're going somewhere on the Sabbath, you print out your directions rather than having your phone open to print directions. If you're going to get together with another family on the Sabbath, you make all your arrangements ahead of time so you don't have to be texting with each other at the last minute. Um, If you want to be with family, you make those arrangements versus leaving yourself having to be connected to your phone in order to get together with your family. Um, Really, really practical ways of completely unplugging. And I am telling you now, I, the feeling of unplugging, and, and I unplug on Saturday night going into Sunday, the mm. feeling of peace that starts to come over me wow. as I unplug from my technology is profound. I feel protected. I feel private. I feel restful. I feel like nobody can get me. I, I, I feel loved by God in this. I feel hugged. I, you know, I, I can't even tell you how Man. joyful it's become for me to unplug from my technologies for the Sabbath. We'll be right back to our interview in a moment, but first I want to share a word about one of our sponsors, partners in this whole Resilient Pastor initiative, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company. Uh, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company, they've got a heart to help ministries thrive and overcome adversity. And right now they're offering a free pastor's kit to those who are interested. It includes a number of well-being resources related to pastoral health. You can get your free kit by visiting brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna. That's brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna, which is also linked in the description of this podcast. And now back to my conversation. Ruth, I, I think that's awakening, a de- that desire thing you were mm-hmm. talking about. I'm listening to you describe it. I'm thinking, oh, I can, <laughs> can have I really do that? Can I do that? That's amazing. I it only it. took me 20 years to believe that I could have that. <laughs> well, you're, you're, I, I know what's stirring in me, and I hope for our listeners, too. I mean, that, that is the kind of challenge that we need, because you're right. It, it's got to be radical. It's so difficult. I mean, I've tried it with, like, yeah. oh, I'll change my notification settings for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. 
But it's not the notifications mm -hmm. for me. It's me. I want to pick it's it up. It's you checking. Wanna... It's you proactively yeah. checking because it's uncomfortable yeah. to yeah. not have been connected because we're not used to it in our culture anymore. Yeah. I'm so glad you devote a chapter to that. <sighs> I think that's really, really, really beautiful. Okay. One of the temptations, so, you know, we've talked about solitude, we've talked about Sabbath, but one of, I think, the temptations for, for pastors is we kind of violate the Sabbath and then we try to binge our rest, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, and go, go all in. I yeah. know in this book, the second half of this book, you talk about sabbaticals. Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference? Let's just start there. What's the difference between a Sabbath and a sabbatical and why are both necessary? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the Sabbath um, is a day. It's, it's, it's a day every seventh day. And um, the way that I get into this topic of sabbatical is to say that there was a time in my life when I realized, wow, I've been practicing Sabbath avidly for years, but I'm at a point right now where I'm so tired that the Sabbath is not touching it, you know, where I get to the end of my Sabbath and I'm still too tired to face Monday. And it's that is a desperate feeling. Um, and so I believe that there's a deeper kind of rest that we as pastors and, you know, and Christian leaders need in particular. And the reason for that is because pastors have a life that is more 24 seven than, than other vocations. We're on call, you know, in more, you know, relationally, our worlds are very intense. We are up close and personal with human suffering and human trauma. Um, and so I believe that pastors and, and Christian leaders in particular need sabbaticals. And it's a biblical principle that comes from um, the, the agricultural life, you know, that you let a, a field lie fallow for one season every seventh year so that it can regain some of its nutrients and be replenished. And so it comes straight from God's creation, this idea of sabbatical. Yes. And so the beautiful connection, though, is that everything that you've learned and experienced in Sabbath is now what you bring over into this longer period of time of sabbatical, which is way more radical um, because it's, it's a longer period of time when you really are leaving your work. And you're mm -hmm. leaving it behind and with a lot of preparation, you're leaving yeah. it, uh, you know, you're structuring it so nobody's intending to be in contact with you. You're not working at those levels. And there's a deeper kind of replenishment that comes over time. And and in fact, even hormonally, you know, the stress mm -hmm. hormone cortisol is mm -hmm. you have to have time. It doesn't it's, it trickles back into your yeah. life. Yeah. You, you can't just get it in 24 hours. And so even the replenishment mm -hmm. at the horm hormonal level for what wow. pastors put out and the traumas that they have to be present with. Um, mm. It's a time for intense spiritual direction, for retreat, for therapy, perhaps. Um, yeah. Travel can be a part of it. And I think it's good for travel to be a part of it if it helps you to really unplug, if it helps you to leave, you know, your normal life behind. And it can be a time for um, cultivating some of our interests that get um, set aside. I mm. don't like to see us use sabbatical for projects and books and stuff like that. I don't write books right. on sabbatical. That's work to me. And I do not do that yeah. on sabbatical. Yeah. Um, so I agree with that. Yeah. I'm glad because you're experienced in sabbatical. I know you've had a couple in your own I, life, I've, right? I, I've, yeah, I've had a few and, and it's been great. So, you know, I work at a church where 15, mm -hmm. 16 years ago, the founding senior pastor had a massive moral failure. Yes. And then when the new pastor came in, Pastor Brady Boyd, he in mm -hmm. he instated, we never had this, he instated sort mm -hmm. of the sabbatical uh, uh, policy. And everybody gets um, sabbaticals, d different durations, you know, different mm -hmm. lengths. Depending on how long you've been serving. Yeah. That That's right. And mm -hmm. depending on your role in the organization. So uh, support staff get, you know, two, three weeks or something like that. Pastors get, you know, anyway, so the, the point is that, you know, you can add vacation time to that. 
But I was going to ask you, Ruth, what is what's sort of the ideal length of a sabbatical? Some people take six months, some do a year. Mm -hmm. But it, it, for our practice, it's more like a two month kind of thing. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's more typical. What's the ideal? Well, you know, that's hard to say, and I'm only going to speak pretty yeah. much experientially. But I think four to six months is ideal. Mm. Um because be, because of the process of letting go and even getting back to zero with your restedness mm -hmm. and your levels of energy and your hormones and getting healthy again, um, mm -hmm. sometimes it takes several weeks, if not the first month, to get back to zero. Do you, you, mm -hmm. You're agreeing with yeah, me? It's a, yeah, it's a detox. I mean, I feel like it is. that first half of the our two-month kind of thing, that first month is definitely you're detoxing from that. It's a struggle. You're actually that. struggling to, to let go and to even know who you are beyond all your performing. And it, so it just takes time. It is like, you know, the jar of river water, you know, that settles over time. That's what happens in the first part of sabbatical. Um, so I, I would say four months is probably the ideal in my mind. Um, yeah. Mine have been three, but what I found was that I, I didn't, it wasn't quite enough. So I wasn't ready to come back, but yeah. I did cause I was supposed to come back, but I wasn't quite ready. Um, yeah. And I knew it. But, and I also think there needs to be some time on the other end to get ready to come back. Yes. So that can be a couple of weeks where you go on a retreat to gather up what's happened. You mm -hmm. really start to plan for coming back. You gather up your discernments, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, if, if there's a there's a detox time when you're actually settling in and then there's a time when you're coming back in. It doesn't leave a lot if you don't. That's why the four months would be better than the three. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Okay, let's let's help pastors here who are trying to convince their elderships or their boards uh, about the necessity of this. I, I've I've mm -hmm. talked to you know different elders who are like we're kind of nervous about giving sabbaticals because yes. last time you know we gave a guy a sabbatical he didn't yes come back. He, he didn't come <laughs> right. back absolutely <laughs> I know it it's yeah. so true. <laughs> so how, how, what would you say to a let's say mm -hmm. you're talking to an elder board here what what would you say to them about look this why does this matter for their pastor? Yeah. Well, for one thing, the way I ex have experienced my own sabbaticals is that it was a gift of so much love. I mean, I just felt so much love coming towards me from our people here to even offer me that. So it's a very concrete way to give love to someone who is pouring their lives out, you know, in your midst. And the wise pastor will experience it that way. They won't experience it as something that I, you know, that is required or that I deserve, but it's, it's a gift of love from the congregation and its elders to, to their pastor. Um, you know, I know some churches and, and denominations where you make the commitment before you go that you won't leave within the year after you get back. Yes. Now, I think that's a, that's a really great covenant between a pastor and a leadership group, because it would be awful to give someone from a leadership group standpoint to give somebody and the whole, the whole organization or church sacrifices for that person to be on sabbatical. Everybody rearranges their roles and rearranges the mm -hmm. tasks and everybody steps up and works a little harder to give this, you know, person what they're giving them, but to, for then to have them come back and resign, what yeah. a kick in the teeth that would be. <laughs> to send them right. from that into a hiring process. So I don't I don't have a lot of problem with having a kind of a covenant between the pastor mm. who's going on sabbatical and the leadership group that they won't leave 
for a year. Um, but then on the other hand, you don't want someone there who really wishes they were gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want someone there for a year who's <laughs> wishing they could be someplace else and it's just biding their time. So yeah. I'm sure there's something in there that we can yeah, figure out, don't you? Good. Maybe you'll come up with I, that brilliant idea. <laughs> well, no, no. I, I think there's some sort of middle ground there. That's really great. Yeah. And there's got to be, a, there, I mean, you said it's an expression of love to give a pastor yeah. Uh, a sabbatical. So, so love is the language of relationship and trust. That's and right. so one would one would hope that there sort of develops this this trust and relationship between an right. eldership and the and the pastor. Ruth, as we as we come to the end here, I, I want to ask you. I want to return back to that question at the beginning where you talked about desire and desperation. For our listeners today who are feeling some of this, and just let me name a couple more stats. Uh, mm-hmm. Two in five, two out of five pastors, about forty one percent say. They practice Sabbath with their family, um, you know, one day a week, once a week. Um, solitude's a bit trickier. About half mm-hmm. pastors say that they uh, they get some intentional alone time even um, once a week, so half don't. Uh, maybe it's one of those practices. Maybe it's something we haven't talked about yet, but where do we start? If, if someone's listening to this and just saying, Ruth, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know what I'm feeling. I'm not even yeah. aware of my desires. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to survive, and I've gotten yes. beaten up mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. I got p- congregants who've left, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, where where can a person start? What's the invitation um, to begin this journey towards health? Mm-hmm. I think it could start in one of two places, and maybe a combination of these two. You know, I had a really good spiritual director the first time that I hit this kind of a wall in my spiritual life. And I wouldn't have even known to choose solitude at that time. I didn't know what was happening. And if it hadn't been for what I believe is now a God ordained connection with a good spiritual director, I wouldn't have known what to do with myself. And so that spiritual director helped me to listen to my desperation and my desire. And she was aware of spiritual practices that could meet me in this place. Mm. And when the solitude wasn't working all that well, you know, so she was the one that suggested this letting go and this resting in solitude and silence versus the busy, quiet times where we study and read books and journal really hard and read around the Bible and three, you know, read through the Bible in a year and all that stuff we do. (laughs) She, She really encouraged me to let go of all that and to experience solitude as a more receptive, restful place. Um, if I hadn't had her support, I would have felt like nothing was happening because all it, all I was doing was being present to my chaos. And she was able to keep telling me, no, Ruth, this is what it's like when you first start to enter in. You're right where you should be. I needed her support so desperately to enter into this new way of being with God. And that was the first place where I started to build in some restfulness in my life. And I cultivated solitude as a place of rest in God. It saved me. It absolutely saved me. Then, though, the, the the longing deepened, and I realized then my longing for the Sabbath. For a while, I put it in the too hard file. But it was solitude that helped me to get to the place where I started to say, well, maybe I could. You know, maybe I could figure out a way of life that it, that enabled me to, to involve this other rhythm of Sabbath keeping. So I would say cultivating solitude is a place of rest in God, but that might be hard for some of us if we don't have a spiritual director. So I am a really strong component of spiritual direction for leaders in particular, because leaders have so few places where someone's only job is to care for your soul and to attend to your soul. They have so few safe places. And so to have a spiritual director where that relationship is absolutely and utterly pure, you're not ministering to them. It's a one-way relationship. They're caring for you. They're listening 
you know, to the Holy Spirit on your behalf, helping you to listen and even helping you to drop down from the chaotic surface into the place where we can now articulate and name desire and let it deepen into desperation and then make decisions out of that deeper, truer place. That's what I would suggest for pastors who are feeling right now that they just don't even know how to begin. That's really, really wonderful advice, Ruth. I had this image as you were describing that of like, we, we, you know, someone descending down into a cave yes. or a cavern mm-hmm. and, and we need this rope and an experienced guide to take us down mm-hmm. there because we, we, yeah. sometimes the darkness or the, uh, you know, the abyss of our own souls, we don't, uh, I don't want to, you know, so we, we keep ourselves busy. We mm-hmm. keep ourselves distracted. Uh, what a gift you are, Ruth. I'm so mm-hmm. thankful for your work and I'm excited about this new book as well to release. Oh, thank um, we, you, Glenn. I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Because you're asking all the right questions, and your uh, book addresses all the right questions. Uh, and what I appreciate about you is that you're not, you know, giving easy answers, simple uh, answers to complex uh, questions. I, uh, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness, um, even in our conversation. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Ruth. Would you take a moment and and pray for our listeners today, wherever they find themselves? Some people, you know, maybe they're listening in their car or on a. Yeah on a run or a walk. Let's just pray uh, however you're led, Ruth. Mm, Okay, thank you. First of all, let's just take a moment of that good silence so that we can drop down from the surface chop of our busyness and our distractedness into that place of communion with the Spirit, that place where God's Spirit witnesses with our spirits about things that are true. And go ahead and breathe deeply as a way of coming in touch with the Spirit of God deep within that Spirit who is closer than your breath. Oh, Holy One, I know that some of us listening today are feeling the stirrings of desire. We know that there's something more that we want in this life. We know that we're not living well. We know that we're on an edge one way or another. We want so much to find a way of life that works, and we want so much to be connected with you meaningfully in the midst of our work in ministry. So for all of us today that are participating in this conversation, I just pray that you would help us to be courageous, to stay with our desire, to let it keep speaking to us, to let it deepen into desperation until we say, I'm going to change my life. I'm not going to keep doing it this way. And I pray that you would guide us to spiritual directors who can be with us at the soul level beyond all that we do for others, to have someone in our lives that's just caring for us. And I pray that you would help us to drive some brand new stake into the ground around our own practice of solitude and Sabbath, where we say, I know I'm not going to survive if I don't have these regular rhythms and I'm willing to drive a new stake in the ground for my health, for my longevity, for my long-term sustainability in ministry, and also for the glory of God. And we offer these things in our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Ruth. Great to talk to you today. Yeah, good, good, good conversation. Bless you. 
Well, thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Resilient Pastor Podcast. You know, we're a newer podcast, so if you can rate, review, like, subscribe, download, share, tweet, post about this podcast, we'd really appreciate it. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what's helpful, what topics you'd like to hear about in the future. We're listening, so please do give us some feedback. And once again, I want to thank our sponsor and partner, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company, Uh, for helping us bring this podcast and the rest of our Resilient Pastor initiatives to you. Uh, Again, they're offering a free pastor kit right now with well-being resources related to pastoral health. You can find that at brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna, brotherhoodmutual.com slash Barna. Hey, listen, we're praying for you today, pastors. The Lord is with you. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The Lord bless you today.